All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Rockbridge. It's good to have you here with us this weekend. Uh, my name is JC. I'm the campus pastor down at our Ringgold campus, and we are glad that you're with us all over northwest Georgia in the Tennessee Valley from Calhoun to Chatsworth, Dalton, Hickson, Tennessee, and Ringgold. We are glad you're here with us this weekend as we celebrate Father's Day today. Uh, and what we want to do is just celebrate the fact of what God did here this past week through Adventure Week. Uh, we just wrapped up an exciting week uh, where we saw over 1,200 kids come to Adventure Week at all five of our campuses, and uh, we want to thank uh, the folks that were giving their time as 50 of those 1,200 kids said yes to Jesus at their campuses on Tuesday night when the gospel was presented. Yeah, give him a praise. That's awesome right there. And what made that decision was the volunteers giving their time, their talent, their energy to helping out at Adventure Week. Over 500 people stepped up and served at all five of our campuses for Adventure Week, and it was an incredible time. You played a huge role in those 50 kids saying yes to Jesus, and so we want to celebrate that and just thank you for volunteering and giving your time and your energy uh, at Adventure Week VBS this past week. Well, this weekend we are celebrating Father's Day, and uh, we are in week number three of a series called Songs of Summer, and what we're doing is taking a look at songs that we sing here at Rockbridge Community Church and why we sing those songs. And so we're taking a look at uh, different songs that we sing and why we sing them, and one of those that we sing is Good, Good Father, one of my favorite songs. And being that it's Father's Day, man, I love that song. God has allowed me to be the dad of six kids, three boys and three girls. They're Eight, seven, five, four, two, one, and no more. I guarantee you that much. And uh, wait, she's not two. She's uh, she's young. And so we we have no more kids coming. But there is a lot of titles that follow my name. But Dad is one of my favorites. I love walking into the house and hearing Daddy, and they come running towards me, and just knowing that the responsibility of raising those kids but also the responsibility of loving them and showing them love. Man, I love Father's Day. And when we sing that song, as I was sitting back here listening to it, I can't help but to imagine how I see my kids. When we sing, he's a good father. He's perfect in all of his ways. His love for us never leaves us. Man, I put myself in the shoes of my kids, and if only they could see themselves the way that I see them. The love that I have for them, not because of what they do, not because of who they are, not because of, of what they try to impress me with, but simply because they're my kids. And I love those kids. They are reckless savages that desperately need Jesus at times, but I love them. In fact, last week on Tuesday, I walk outside and my three boys, Caden, Colton, Corbin, they're eight, seven, and five. They are literally covered from head to toe in mud. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, bring it in the mud. But I loved them in that moment. I wanted everybody to see it, so I shot a real quick video. I got a drawer in my desk at the office that is just full of stuff that they've made. I can't read it. I don't really know what the picture has drawn out to be, but my kids made it, and I love them. But that stuff doesn't represent why I love them. I simply love them because they are my kids. And when I sing that song, when I hear the lyrics in that song, I go to a place, do I really see God loving me with that kind of love? Only infinitely greater. And when I think of that, what I have to say is that his love for me is not based on how well I'm doing, but simply because I am his child. 
I'm his, and he's mine. I have a father in God. Now, the word father invokes all sorts of images. For some, when you hear the word father, you think of happy times. You think of uh, laughter and family trips and long conversations in the car, sitting around a table with a cup of coffee or maybe a round of golf or throwing ball in the yard. For others, the word father is rejection or hurt. Maybe it's pain or just absence. Not there. For others, when you hear the word father, maybe it brings up that hurt of the desire to be a father, but it hasn't happened yet, and there's hurt, there's confusion, there's pain there. You see, the word father invokes in us some kind of image, and I believe that at times we have kind of greatly distorted the role of father and what it was intended to be, and I'm not a perfect father. I try. I try my hardest to let my kids know that I love them, that I care for them, that I want to be there for them. Man, I grew up in a family that wasn't very emotional. We never really showed emotion a lot, but my kids, they are going to know that I love them. I hug them and kiss them every chance I get. My daughter, I'm like, hey, Kenzie, guess what? She's like, I know, Dad, you love me. I'm like, don't you ever forget it. I love you. And when we look at this, we see the view of how our Heavenly Father is. But even as much as I try, I'm going to let him down. No matter how perfect your father was, he's still never going to be perfect. That's why it's important for us to understand that God is not only our father, but he is a good father. And I want to break that down tonight because I think we get a warped view of who we are in God's sight. We get on this performance-based faith. God will be pleased with me if I'm doing enough stuff. He's going to be all right with me if I'm performing right rather than just recognizing that he is my father and I'm loved by him exactly who I am. Hey, God is a good father and we are loved and it does not change. It's who he is. It's who I am. He is a good father. Now, the Bible is not discreet about our relationship with him. It's very clear. In fact, there are so many verses, well over 300 verses that describe God as our father. One of them I love in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 that talks about how you didn't receive the spirit of, of fear but of adoption by whom we cry out Abba father. I love that. That's reference to the father. It's daddy. It's the term daddy. There is a sense of relationship there. One of my favorite things to do on the weekends down at our Ringo campus is when I walk outside of the auditorium, our children's ministry is down the walkway. And my kids are normally some of the last to be picked up. The nursery workers are sending them out the door. And my kids will come running, and they're all right there in a line. Katie and Colton, Corbin, Kenzie, Katie, Caroline, Kim, Kenzie, all the case. And they come running. And all I do is I just walk outside. I'm like, hey, kids. And all I hear, I love it. It's the joy of my life. Daddy. And they come running with arms wide open. And they get there at different times because of their ages. But there is an embrace that takes place because there's a relationship. Abba, Father, when you see this, it's dad. It's daddy. He is there. He knows his children. It's most closely related to that. Now, you may believe that you're God's child. You may believe that he is your father. But do you really believe that Abba Father, Daddy, really loves you? Really to the core of who you are, do you believe 
that he loves you. It can be a difficult truth to grasp onto at times because of past hurt or maybe it's some guilt or shame that we hold on to. Maybe bitterness and past experiences have calloused us and we're like, well, he's good for everyone else but not necessarily for me. I know I'm his child, but I think he loves others better. You ever been there? When I think of this, my mind goes to a passage of scripture in Matthew that I love that says he takes care of the sparrow. But it also says he cares more for his children than the sparrow and provides and is attuned to their needs. He knows you. One of the songs I've been singing to my kids since they were little babies, in the still of the night, in the middle of the night, when everybody's going crazy, when people are screaming because they're hungry, when, when everybody else is asleep, I'm just rocking a baby. I'm singing, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? His eyes on the sparrow, but I know he's watching me. So sing because we're happy and sing because we're free because he loves us. We have a father who knows us. Man, if he's attuned to the sparrow, but how much more he cares for us as his kids. There's two truths that are the most transformative power in your life. When you realize that you are God's child, that he is a good Father, tell yourself that today over and over again. It's who I am. It's who he is. But how do we know, JC, how do we know he's a good father? I want to show you a story tonight that doesn't necessarily talk about a dad. But it is one of the most mind-blowing views of the love and the goodness of God one that is almost too difficult to believe. In this story, we see one of the most bizarre yet riveting illustrations of what a good father's love and faithfulness for his child really looks like. It comes from the book of Hosea. And when you see in Hosea's life, it, Hosea is a minor prophet. He's not a major prophet. He's different. Not, not that he's any less than the major prophets. He just wrote a shorter book. Hosea gets a very interesting assignment when it comes to what God would have with his life and how we see the life of Hosea, the faithfulness, the goodness, the love that Hosea shows. In this story, you will see the amazing love of God, the amazing faithfulness and goodness of our good father. And so we read in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, Hosea goes down as the man who probably received one of the strangest, most awkward ministry assignments ever given. It says this, go and marry a, pros a promiscuous woman and have children with promiscuity. For the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So Hosea is told to go marry a prostitute. Now, when you read this, you're like, okay, that's different. Now, when I was in Bible college, a lot of us were getting ministry assignments. People were going to be evangelists and teachers and pastors and campus pastors and missionaries. Nobody got Hosea's assignment. This is a different type of assignment. But what you will see in this assignment is that he is perfect in all of his ways to us. Through what seems to be something that, um, God, you sure? <laughs> turns out to be God proving a point. Because through this story, 
you're going to see the love of God displayed. So Hosea goes and God identifies in Israel that she looked to other nations for help instead of God. She's looking for help when they felt afraid or faced financial worries. Rather than turning to God for help, they turned to Egypt or Assyria. God's chosen people, they're turning to other things rather than him. It may not sound immoral, but you see, something else had replaced their trust with God. And what we see is that our primary sins, the things that have taken the place of God where only he is supposed to occupy, and it breaks the very heart of God. And just like Israel, just like this prostitute, there is something that has taken the place of the one that's supposed to be giving it. And so we read in verse 3, he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, And she conceived and bore him a son. Now, besides the fact her name's Gomer, (laughs) strike two, she, when I read that, I'm like, man, this man had to really know God was calling him. Shazam. (laughs) When I read this story, he goes and marries her, and he doesn't just go through the formalities. He really genuinely loves Gomer, has a kid with her. He says, hey, I'm not just going to go halfway. God has told me to do this, so I'm going to love with a love that knows no end. I'm going to be recklessly bound to this person. I'm going to show faithfulness, even though he knew what was at stake. When we see this, and later on it says, but shortly thereafter, Gomer returns to her old ways. She said, I will, again, go after my lovers. This is her lifestyle. This is what she knows. And she says, I'm sick of living this married life, so I'm going to go again after my lovers. She does this in broad daylight where everybody is asking, hey, isn't that the prophet's wife? Isn't that the one that we know is, is, pro, is a prophet? Isn't that his wife? Could you imagine how the, a rumor mill is making its way around that's also known as a prayer chain? Can, we're not going there. Can you imagine where this is going? Eventually, she leaves Hosea for someone who pays for her services. To make matters worse, this new guy abuses her, and Hosea is pleading with her to come back to him. I love you despite what you're doing. I want to be faithful to you, but insanely, she does it. And so Hosea takes it to another level. He pays this man to take care of her. He says, here's some money. Take care of my wife. This love so amazing. Eventually, This new lover gets tired of her and he tries to sell her back. And then God appears to Hosea with the second assignment. First one seemed crazy enough. Number two is coming up. Look what he says. Then the Lord said to him, go again. Those are two very important words. Go again and show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Hey, Hosea, I want you to go again. Now, Hosea's just like us. He's got to be thinking, you don't understand what she's done to me. She has embarrassed me. She has publicly shamed me. Hey, Hosea, I want you to go again. I don't want you to give up on her. I want you to go again. 
And so we see that he goes and loves this woman, not just the first time, but the second time. Now keep in mind, Hosea had to be thinking all of these thoughts, but yet the love, the faithfulness, the goodness of Hosea finds him at an auction block. And there Hosea was standing with other men who just wanted to make bids on her services and what she could do for them. Hosea sees his wife stripped so potential buyers could see what they were bidding on. And there in the crowd of men who only wanted to take advantage of her stands Hosea, who just wants to love her and show her what love was like and faithfulness and goodness. That leads me to one of the things that I think of the first illustration of how this is like the love of God. We see that God's love never ends. It never runs out on us. It never ends. It never runs out on us. Despite where you've been or what you've done, he says, hey, I'm going to go again. I'm going to love you. I don't care what the past says about you. I don't care what your current circumstance says about you. Go again. I'm going to love you. And we see that any of us in Hosea's situation, we would have been perfectly justified just to walk away. In fact, by law, he could have stoned this woman, but he doesn't because of his faithfulness, his goodness, and his love. And I'm so thankful that God keeps coming for us. But God commends his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And then we see in chapter 11 and verse 8, what might be one of the most remarkable verses in all of the Old Testament. Look at this verse. It says, oh, how can I give you up? How can I let you go? My heart is torn within me. I can't quit you, Gomer. I can't walk away. I can't just throw in the towel and quit because I love you. Because I'm faithful. Because I'm good. And we see that he goes and he buys her back. What you have to understand in this verse that we read is that God's bound his happiness up in our happiness. That's how you feel when you're loved. Someone is happy and it's bound up in theirs. He says, I can't give you up. My heart is torn within me. I feel the pain of your life. I feel the hurt, but I also feel the joy because my heart is so attuned to your heart. Abba, Father. And so we see Hosea is binding his pain. He's binding his happiness with her. And I think of the spirit of adoption. Our worship leader in Ringgold, Zek, and his wife Liz, they've adopted a little boy named Nash. And they've bound their happiness to Nash. From the point that they adopted him, not that they were unhappy before, but now their happiness is bound up in Nash's happiness. And that's what this verse is saying. How can I give you up? How can I let you go? I love you so much that my heart is torn within me for the circumstance you find yourself in. I love that verse because it shows us the absolute staggering love and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. 
God has so united his heart with our heart. He can't, he won't let us go. God has a bad case of the so loves. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. That's how much he loves you. Despite the rejection, the rebellion, the hurt, the times you turn your back on him, you walk away from him. The thoughts that you have that aren't right, that aren't good, the things you can't face up to because of what you've seen and what you've heard. The times we say, hey God, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? And you walk away from him. The feelings of hate and bitterness and rage and anger you have inside of you. The times that you stay up at night because of a decision that's been made. The things you've done with your hands, the places you've gone with your feet. You know what he says? Hey, I know that stuff. And I still love you. And nothing will ever be able to separate you from that love. Mm. You want to see how he has an amazing case of the soul loves? Write this one down if you're taking notes. God's love eviscerated himself. Apologize for the SAT word. It's the only thing I could come up with. That literally means it cut his heart out. It cut his heart out. Purchasing Gomer for the second time broke Hosea financially, but he gave whatever he could to show her his love. Look what it says. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. Scholars have read, and everything I've read, that the going rate for someone on the sex slave trade would have been 30 shekels. He literally bankrupted himself to buy his wife back, plus some. Hey, I don't have all the money, but here's some food. Here's my crops. I want my wife back. And we see him giving it all. And this points us forward to the love of God who was not financially eviscerated, but literally eviscerated for us. We see that he gave his son so that we could be restored. God bankrupt heaven for you. You want to see the ultimate sign of love? This is it. The ultimate sign of love. To some, it's just an emblem. It's a formality. It's a symbol that gets used frequently. Many blaspheme, they despise, though it's ancient. This still abides a shrine to death that stands to life for so many. This is the ultimate sign of love. Because God, who was rich in mercy, bankrupt heaven and sent his son who knew no sin to die for you and for me. That's love. So amazing. Beyond our comprehension. Hosea understood this because what Jesus did on the cross, and he took the consequence of our sin on his body, holding the gates of heaven open for us, if we would just receive it, he paid the price. The cat of nine tails, the crown of thorns, it's what he went through because what we sang earlier, he didn't want heaven without us. And so he brought heaven down. He sent his son to show the goodness, the love, the mercy of God. My friend, the only way to respond is total and complete 
You can either reject him as a phony and a fraud and walk away, or you can fall down on your knees in complete surrender. But I beg with you, don't patronize God with half-hearted commitment or lethargic worship because he's worthy than more than that. He is a good father. And the last thing we see is that his love persists until the end. It doesn't give up. It doesn't quit when it gets hard. It doesn't quit what others may say. It persists until the end. You remember the two words we said highlight earlier? It shows the reoccurring theme in this book. Go again. Love this woman who is an adulteress. Look at this. Go again. Go again. Go again. Hey, don't give up on her, Hosea, because I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to walk away. Hey, you might have heard stories of what they say he's like, but I've heard the tender whispers in the dead of night that he loves me. When my sin is ever before me, he says, hey, I'm going again. And I'm going to show you that I love you. When the decisions, when the consequence of the decision you made is right in front of you and you don't see any hope, he says, go again. I'm going to prove my love to you. That's how God continues to feel about you. When you fall back into sin, God says, hey, go again. When you forget him, he says, go again. When you fall back into those same things that God has delivered you from time after time after time again, he says, go again. When you feel the pain and the heartache that comes from stupid, sinful choices that you made, go again, go again, go again. But hey, JC, what if I keep rejecting him? What if I keep turning away from him? Hey, he's not going to force himself on you. Scripture says that we can harden our heart to him and we can reject him. But all you have to do is look up, my friend, because he is standing there. Love so amazing. Listen, your sin, your habit, your struggle, your past, none of those things can keep you from a relationship with him. Only your unwillingness to receive that grace does. The grace is there. And I love this story because Gomer didn't have to free herself from prostitution for, for Hosea to love her. He loved her right there on the auction block. He took her that day back again as his wife. He offered to love her unconditionally and freely while she was still in her sin. Most people think that they've got to clean themselves up and make a bunch of changes for God to accept me. It's not how it happens. <laughs> Acceptance, forgiveness, and unconditional love come first, and then the change takes place. We get it too backwards around here in the Bible Belt. Hey, you got to look and act and talk and be a certain way for God to accept you. No, he says, I want you exactly how you are. With all your hurts and your habits and your hangups, with all the junk, bring it with you. Because I will show you that my love and my goodness and my faithfulness is so much bigger than all of that. And I will set you free. I will change you. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. One encounter with a holy God will do more for you than a thousand sermons ever will. One encounter with God will leave your life changed. And that's exactly what happened here Hosea's life was radically changed. If you read on in the scriptures, I would encourage you to continue to read. You see that he took her back as his wife and said, from this day on, 
My heart is bound to your heart. Don't leave me. I'm with you. And that's what we see in the gospel is that God offers you complete forgiveness. Jesus took the penalty of sin. He offers you freedom. Freedom from the bondage. Hey, God will do the impossible. And that sets you free. You got to do the possible. And that's leave the junk behind. Hosea could have, excuse me, Gomer could have stayed in that lifestyle. But she stepped out. Because she saw the love and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That's what makes him a good, good father. Look at this quote that really sums up this message. It's by a gentleman by the name of Donald Barnhouse. It says, the pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder in the spiritual universe. When we see his love at work through the heart of Hosea, we may wonder if God is really like that, but he is. He is a good father whose love knows no end. Think about it. Many years later, he would give man the ability to form in the iron in the ground that he had given them into nails and fashion the tree in the field he had created into a cross. And then he stretched out his hands upon that tree and allowed us to nail him there. And in doing so, he took our sins upon himself. This is our God, and there is no one else like him. My friends, when we sing good, good father, we're saying that the way he loves us is a way that only our heavenly father, our Abba, our daddy, our father can. He is a good father. His love bankrupt heaven for you and me. His love is not consider himself first or self-serving or selfish. His love is not based on how well we are doing, but simply because we are his children. He loves you. He knows you. God is a good father. You're loved by him and it doesn't change. It's who he is and it's who I am. So there's two responses to this story. One, say yes to him. Maybe you don't know him as a good father because you've never become his child. Hey, my friend, God knows you. He knows exactly what you walked into this room with this weekend. And he says, I want to love you exactly how you are. And you've got to understand the gospel is the good news. That God who is just in mercy could not look over our rejection and our rebellion of him. But a God who was love and mercy would not leave us helpless and hopeless. That's why he sent his son to live a perfect life, to die a criminal's death, to be buried, but to rise again so that we could have a relationship with him. Call him Abba, Father. All it does is give him the steering wheel of your life. God, I give you complete control. Here's my life. Take it. Use me. If you're here this weekend, you say, you know what? That's me, man. I need to say yes to Jesus. I know him as father, as this grandfather in the sky, as this law that's there to strike me down when I mess up. But I want to know him as a good father. Give him the steering wheel of your life. Give him your life. He knows you. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. Hey, if you do that, we want to celebrate with you. You can let our campus pastors or our venue hosts know at the end of the service down at the front of the stage. Fill out that next step card. It's in the seat back pocket in front of you, and one of our campus pastors or staff members will get in touch with you because we want to celebrate because you've made the best decision of your life. You have learned how to have a relationship with a good father. And then for us, who know the goodness of God. Our only step is to let the world know about our good, 
good father. Here at Rockbridge, we say we love God, we love others, and we live sin. How does the world know how good a father is if we just come into our center, our, our services, and we sit and worship and leave and do nothing with it? Hey, don't let what happens in your heart and in your life in this room just stay here. Go out and let them know about the goodness of our Father with, the, with what we say, with how we act, with what we do. He is a good Father who's perfect in all of his ways, and he loves you. Let me pray. Father, I love you. God, and I love you because you first loved us. Father, you are perfect in all of your ways. There is nothing that any one of us at any one of our campuses this weekend can do that would ever take away or minimize the fact that you want to love us. God, I'm so thankful for the scripture and the promise that we have that nothing can ever separate us from your love. Not height, not depth, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic. Today or tomorrow, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that we have found through your son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God, we worship you. We thank you for that love so amazing. The peace so unexplainable, but you freely give. And God, we worship you now. As we receive this offering, Father, we pray you will bless it, you will multiply it, that you will further your kingdom as we point people to the fame, the renown, the esteem of who you are. And God, as we worship, we just sit back in your love and worship you, Abba, Father. In the strong name of King Jesus, we pray and we worship now. Amen.